Hi, my name is Greg Parry, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Global Services and Education. This podcast series is about global leadership. And we often, when we think and talk about leadership, we tend to talk about um, visionary things, about having a mission. I want to speak to you today about the skills of persuasion, the skills of persuading and influencing people. Because I think we sometimes forget that it requires action and skills to make a difference. And it's not just about charisma and being motivated and sharing big vision and mission. You actually have to get things done. And sometimes you need to persuade and influence. And I really think this is an important skill to talk about because it gets things done. A leader that's a nice person, that's charismatic, that's highly motivated, might be nice to spend time around, but we need to look at the achievable outcomes as well. So I really want to spend some time today exploring some skills around how to persuade and influence people to move forward. Now, some of these ideas that I'm going to share today are probably going to sound a little bit salesy. Um, Certainly, some of these ideas come from the sales field, and there is a set of skills that I learned a number of years ago, but I think they're equally relevant in all sectors of leadership because it's your interpersonal skills that truly make a difference in changing people's mind, moving them forward, and convincing them to follow your lead. So I think it's really worthwhile talking about some of these tools, and by applying them, I'm sure that you will find you'll be far more effective at taking the next couple of steps when you come up with new ideas or you know that there's some need for change in your organization. One of the first things that you need to to understand is that it's natural to get objections to new ideas. People don't like change and we know that people are resistant to it because it's a natural thing to maintain the status quo. It's easier. Default positions are easier to maintain than new ones, new environments, new skills that might be required make make us sometimes uncomfortable. So be aware that objections are normal and it's okay for them to happen. Just be ready for them and realize that you need to work through them. I think one of the the first areas to to consider is that people, when they object to something, aren't coming from a negative place necessarily. Um, you might find these ideas are threatening to you or you might be offended by them. Like, how dare that person disagree with me? I think you need to reframe that. You need to think about this as being a positive opportunity because the truth is if you have a conversation with someone and they just automatically agree with you, it's very likely if you haven't put much work or energy in that behind the scenes, maybe they're not being as supportive as you think they are. You want people to agree, you want people to engage, and you want people to follow through. So it's important to take the time to make sure people are on the same page. I'm usually concerned if I have a meeting and everyone agrees automatically. My concern is that maybe we didn't have enough depth to this conversation. Maybe the plan hasn't been thought through clearly enough. There's certainly a risk that down the track, we're going to come across some obstacles that might get in the road. I remember working with a colleague that had a completely different personality type to me. And initially I was I found it quite confronting that every time I brought forward an idea, I felt like he picked it apart, that he disagreed, and I, I found it very frustrating. But I realized that my personality type was to be the visionary person, to think about big ideas and to be optimistic without having thought through the detail. He was very much into concrete detail. He was very pragmatic. He very quickly went to 
the different steps that would be required to implement the plan or the vision. And once I'd reframed that as being productive and helpful for me in moving forward, I felt far better about these conversations that I originally perceived to be objections and him being confrontational. And certainly we we began to work together far more effectively once I realized that. I took it on as my problem, not his. I, I needed to communicate my ideas better to him and I needed to listen more effectively. And that comes to the first point I want to mention, and that is the importance and need for us to listen authentically. The first reaction that we normally have when we hear an objection is to jump right in and respond immediately. We need to resist that temptation. When you react too quickly, you often risk assumptions about the objection. You risk making assumptions, sorry, about the objection. We need to take the time to listen to the objections fully and completely. So we really are listening and understanding all the different concerns that we might have to take up later. You need to, I mean, listening effectively, of course, involves things like uh, paraphrasing, uh, listening to what's been said and referring back, um, and making sure that we are not missing any details. How many times have we had a conversation with someone, walked away, told the story very differently to someone else who was observing the same conversation. Too often we don't listen effectively. So often we are listen- we're not really listening, we're just waiting for a chance to speak ourselves. So authenticity with listening means you actually are listening. You're not just, not, it's not, just not that you're just not talking, you're actually genuinely listening with your brain, not rehearsing the next conversation. Everything they're saying is going in. It's really important to stay balanced as well. Don't react defensively. Stay balanced in that position. Don't be threatened or overcome by objections that you maybe don't like or aren't expecting. We need to train ourselves to ignore any of the negative emotions or feelings that automatically come up when people object to our ideas. We need to stay focused on what our colleagues are saying and the problem that, that, that we're all trying to solve. I mean, ultimately, I, I often say, I don't need to be right, but I need to come up with the right answer or the right solution. And I think it's important to frame things in that way. Being right can often get us into a whole lot of trouble in our own minds. The right solution might be someone else's idea. It might be the opposite of yours. And you need to be open about that. And you're only going to be open if you start and maintain a balanced position. We need to listen with full intent of what our colleagues are saying. We need to listen to what their concerns are. We need to listen for bias. We need to listen for any anticipation they have of a negative reaction. We also need to make sure that our body language matches that openness. Our verbal confirmations of the ideas, I really like that idea, need to balance the non-verbals that I'm sharing. People are going to fake you being insincere. You can't fake sincerity. People are going to see through you if you're not being honest and clear. We need to communicate to the person we're talking to, to our colleagues, in ways that show that we are listening intently. And it's all the non-verbals that we're normally aware of, like nodding our head, um, leaning forward, making eye contact, and as I said before, paraphrasing. These are all important skills that we should employ. And again, 
do it authentically. You need to take on board, and, and maybe the first few times it's not authentic because you're just learning, but you need to take on board this, this belief system that it's okay to be challenged and it's okay to, 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 to listen to objections because ultimately the end goal is what you'll be satisfied with, not the objections or the bumps in the road along the way. Another thing I think it's really important to be aware of when we're having a conversation with anyone is who's speaking more than the other. The truth is, with interpersonal relationships, we know that we will build a stronger and deeper relationship with someone who is speaking more than we are. So I, I challenge you to think about almost like a pie chart. And at the end of a conversation, draw that pie chart in your mind's eye and think about who spoke more and who listened more. Your relationship will be more connected when most often you are listening more than you are speaking. That person, the other person will feel valued, that their ideas have been shared and you've listened authentically. I think that's really important. I think this happens when, also when we take pauses to listen. Allow those silent pauses to happen. Don't feel like you need to fill the silence when you're in an interaction with somebody. Pause, slow down. I mean, what's common for people is some people speed up and almost uh, almost pounce on, on any objections that come forward. This kind of reaction in a conversation when you're trying to influence people or persuade people, it just increases the conflict. It increases the chance of objection. It makes people feel nervous and anxious. They're more likely to get defensive because you've changed the mood in the room. You've changed your body language and you've changed the way you're reacting. I mean, research in um, sales environments generally finds that when people are met with objections, their speech rate can increase by 10% or more, meaning how quickly they speak, can increase by 10% or more when they're faced with someone who has a different point of view. And what happens when we do that? The other person speeds up their speech as well. The faster we speak, the more aggravated we are, the less people are listening, the, the more chance that our relationship is starting to break down. Quiet, calm, considered, balanced conversations ensure people are listening more and there's more likely that you're going to reach common position. Another thing to think about is, the, is, is think about the way you are responding with questions. So don't just respond with statements, but think about questions you can ask the person, which help you develop a deeper understanding. Again, you're trying to make sure that you're listening more than speaking. The best way to do that is to ask them questions. I mean, the world is full of potential misunderstandings. People often complain about misunderstandings between two parties. If you don't clarify the situations, or clarify the objections, you might respond to the wrong wrong issue. By asking questions of your colleagues and understanding the issue more clearly, you you are are gonna be far more effective at responding the right way. So ask lots of questions. If you don't address the right issue, people are gonna feel misunderstood and it's gonna aggravate the situation and cause friction. I didn't say that. That's not what I meant is what uh, your colleagues might be saying. Listen carefully, 
respond with lots of questions to make sure you fully understand what's happening. So what kind of questions should we ask? How do we, how do we clarify these objections? How do we make sure we understand what's, what's going on? One of the first techniques we can use is something that's called mirroring. Um, just like a mirror, basically what we do is we repeat what we've heard. One of the ways to think about this is to repeat the last few words of our colleagues' final sentences. And you can do it with a positive tone, almost an upward voice tone, like you're, like you're um, agreeing, them, agreeing with them. Or like you're asking a question to clarify. And it triggers friends and colleagues to elaborate more. For example, um, so you might say to someone, so your team is not in agreement about the plan? And notice my tone is rising up. The client is not satisfied? It's a question. I mean, we know inherently it's a statement, but you're asking for clarification without asking them why. Asking why can tend to be quite confrontational. You're almost saying, well, you know, you're almost asking them to justify the position. You need more information, and this is a way of avoiding asking that direct question with the word why. Because why doesn't most often clarify? It's threatening because it questions how valid that position is. And it puts that other person in a defensive position. So something I think you should really try to avoid whenever you can. You can also say things like, can you help me understand what's causing the problem or causing a concern or slowing things down. Can you help me understand? Notice this is effectively asking a question why, but you're not really uttering the word why directly. Can you help me understand sends a message to them that you really care, that you really genuinely want to reach a common position and get inside their head, head and, and, and understand what they're trying to say. I guess the questioning process should be almost like peeling back the, the layers of an onion. Because what usually happens in this kind of situation is the, the, the first thing that a person says, says is not often the actual core root of the problem. It's just what they throw out there initially. You need to dig deeper to get back right down to the core of the problem, the core, of the, the core issue that they want addressed. And that might take a little bit of time. So avoid using the words why directly, but use other probing statements or questions that, that demonstrate you're trying to really understand in the, in the greatest depth you possibly can what's going wrong. Peeling back those outer surface level layers to get to the core of the matter. Step by step, with lots of patience, you're trying to reach the core problem or the issue. As I said earlier, I believe that persuasion and to persuade and influence is a very important leadership skill. It's not just charisma, not just vision and mission. It needs, it's a, it's a skill set that you really need to learn as a leader to make sure that you can turn ideas into reality. The definition to me of a leader is somebody who can influence large groups of people. And it begins with your interpersonal skills. You're not always on a stage. You're not always at the end of an email or a memo. It's about those personal interactions that are really going to make a difference. I think it's really important to define the obstacles that are getting in the road with any of the any of the, the actions you're trying to take. You really need to, 
to define the real objections that people are having in their in their own in those people's viewpoint. Now, once you've dug down and, and asked a lot of questions, you might find the issues are not really as real as they think they are. The issues they perceive may not be as concrete or whatever it is as as they understand them to be. But you're not going to reach that point until you've had some conversations. I mean, some of their viewpoints could be based on false beliefs, false evidence, assumptions that they're making, um, evidence based on past performance or past situations. You need to be able to see any of these objections from their point of view, understand how it's going to affect them. Their reason for saying no initially may not be the actual reason at all. It could be because they don't want their life turned upside down. It could be because they've got other agendas that are going to be affected by any of these changes. You need to reach that point of understanding. But also recognize that even if it's not real, it's important to them. Even if in your viewpoint, their objection's not really valid or significant, it is to them. So it's really important that you reach down and get to that point before you handle the objections. Be clear about what these objections are. You have to learn how to deal with the objections and questions in ways that demonstrate your understanding of of, of your colleague's reality. As a leader, we can sometimes get quite detached with the reality. We don't know how our decisions affect people on the ground or at the coalface, so to speak. We need to make sure we demonstrate empathy for that. And, and so maybe we can respond in ways by, you know, like, so when people present false evidence to us or things that we don't believe to be real, I mean, our response can be, look, I know it sounds like that. Or I know it looks like it could be like that. But let's actually take a look because maybe both of us will be surprised. Now, you notice I'll say maybe both of us will be surprised. You're putting yourself in the same situation as them. I know it sounds like that means you're demonstrating some level of understanding. I know it might look like that could happen, but again, let's take a look. Let's take a look together. You're getting with them, you're getting beside them and you're working with them. And words like maybe are really powerful. By using words like maybe, you're you're challenging them to go, well, what if? The obstacle to them might be quite concrete and immovable. But if you try out a word like, but maybe, you're opening them up to consideration of being creative or out of the box or looking for alternatives. And that's really important. I think it's really valid to, it's really important that we validate objections. We need to acknowledge that they are significant and they're valid for them. They may not be valid for you, but they may be valid for them. And that's really important. I mean, the truth is human beings go through most of their lives feeling misunderstood, feeling like they're not listening to, listened to. Being misunderstood is not a good feeling. You need to help them feel understood and feel like their ideas and concerns are heard. And remember, if you are the person who understands them, or if you're the person who they feel understands them and values and appreciates them, you're the most powerful influence over that relationship. I know that if someone values and appreciates me, I'm more likely to listen to them or follow out their suggestions or ideas. So you statements like, that's a really valid concern. Or I agree, 
that's really a worthwhile thing to consider. I mean, be really careful about your language and try to frame your language in positive ways. A habit that I, I certainly learnt off a mentor of mine many years ago was to, to, to turn words like problem into challenge. So what I learned over time is that when I went to see this person, it was best for me to say, hey, Rob, I'd like to meet with you because I've got a challenge. And can you see how this twists the language into a positive frame? Hey, Rob, I've got a problem. Automatically has a barrier. It has an obstacle. It has walls around it. Hey, Rob, I've got a challenge. Keeps things open and it gives an opportunity for them to engage with in a your, your, your obstacle in a positive way. Instead of using words like argument, describe instead of describing a situation as an argument, describe it as two people having different viewpoints or a couple of people not yet being on the same page or not yet reaching common ground. The power of language is incredibly important to consider. One of the, the strategies I've also used in the past is trying to find as many ways as possible to agree. And maybe it's sometimes semantics, but the truth is there's always a way to agree rather than disagree. Don't be combative. Try to find ways that um, you can respond in ways that demonstrate you agree with parts of what they've had to say. Um, as a school principal for many years, it was common for me to have a parent that had heard a story from a child and come to me very upset or, or concerned about their child's version of events. I found the most effective strategy would be is to listen intently to everything that the parent initially said, to nod my head, to lean forward and demonstrate empathy and concern. And then my common immediate response would be is, I agree. The description you've just shared with me is very concerning. I agree. If everything took place that you just described to me, I too would be as upset as you are. So in using particular types of language, you are agreeing with what's been said. You're not saying, yes, it happened. You're not validating that it definitely did happen because you weren't there. But you're validating that if it happened the way the parent described, then you agree that that's tragic and terrible. And then I'd quickly move on to, well, look, I, I agree. This is a really upsetting or concerning issue for both of us. But the truth is neither you nor I were there. So how about we make sure we get all the information before we make a final judgment? So you're putting yourself in the chair beside them. You're acknowledging that if it is true, it's tragic and it's a concern. But let's together get all the facts. You're not being objectionable. You're agreeing with what you can agree with at this point in time. And if your colleagues present conflicts or ideas to you, you can do the same thing. Nod your head. Oh, that's, yeah, I, I, if, it, if it took place like you just described, that would be tragic. Yes, if that's the facts as we both understand it, that's a really big concern. Agree with people in any way that you possibly can so that they feel heard and validated. Because later when you find out the facts, and if both of you find out the facts in a credible way, you might find that you both reach agreement far more quickly.
Help people move to a neutral position as quickly as you can. If it's a situation where they're describing a conflict or a situation they weren't personally involved in, let's both move to a neutral position as quickly as we can. We both weren't there, but if the events happened the way you describe it, I too would be upset as well. Let's both investigate. Let's find out the facts to make sure that we can resolve this in a meaningful way. What if? What if we don't have all the information? <clears throat> what if we only have some of the information, but there's a whole lot more information to learn? Would that be helpful for us to reach a better agreement? And that's hard for them to disagree with as well. So try to neutralize as quickly as possible. I mean, get permission. Get permission from the person about, you know, like, can I bounce some ideas off you? Can I share some alternative viewpoints? Now, if someone's angry and upset and you automatically jump to an alternative position, they're going to be upset. Ask for permission. Hey, Mary, do you mind if I share a possible alternative solution? Okay, how can they say no? It opens up the conversation. It creates opportunity for people to listen. It neutralizes their mindset just for a moment. It asks them to open the door or window to some new ideas. And it also implies that you're the vulnerable one, that you're not combated. You're the vulnerable and you're the one that's trying to understand. Allow them to take their powerful position. If you try to take a more powerful position, they're going to be combated. Take the neutral position. Take, if possible, almost take a more vulnerable one. And, and I think this is, this is a good example where I believe leadership is about interpersonal skills and it's very much about um, your own levels of security. To be honest, I found, I've, in my lifetime, I found the most ineffective leaders are the most insecure people personally. If you are not confident and insecure, you tend to be more combative. It's your attempt to defend yourself. Usually aggressive people are actually quite insecure. It's an attempt to defend themselves and keep people away. Authentic people can get deeply connected and not be concerned about the repercussions. Some other strategies that I'd ask you to consider as well is some, some ways to demonstrate empathy and connectedness. A, a tool that I've used before is the concept of feel, felt, and found. So these three steps are a way to quickly move people from an objectionable position to maybe considering alternatives. So let's let's assume someone just come into your office or into your space and they've started to present an objection or, or tell you how upset they are or tell you about a situation they had that really made them angry. The first position to take is feel. Using words like I understand how you feel. I understand. I understand how you feel. It tells your colleagues that, you, that you've heard them and that you can empathize and that you can connect, that you're listening. The second step is to move to felt. <laughs> Let them know that there's been some times in the past where you felt the same way. Use past stories, use other examples that demonstrate that you've been in a situation where they've been before too. 
Talk about someone else who felt in the past, past tense, felt the same way when they faced that situation too. Oh, I had that interaction with a colleague as well one day and I felt exactly the same way. It lets them know that they're not alone. It lets them know that they're not the only person that's had that kind of negative experience. It lets them know that other people have felt that same experience as well. With a possibility that there could be a positive outcome and that things could be different. And the third step today, step to take is found. Move to a situation describing what you actually found or what other people found once they got all the information that they needed. After they did what they needed to do, after they investigated more, what they found to be true. So let's take a a situation where someone's describing uh, a, a general conflict with a person that others often find objectionable. Let me show you how, how you can diffuse that situation. So someone's come to you and they've said they've been very upset about this objection that another person's had to their ideas or a potential conflict. So my response would be, I know exactly how you feel. It must make you really upset when someone says those kind of things to you. I understand how you feel because I feel like that sometimes too. I once had an interaction with that person and I felt the same way. I presented an idea to them and they initially responded like that to me as well. I felt the same way. But you know what I found is that after spending more time with that person and having patience and listening through everything that they had to say, that they had really good ideas to share. And when I listened to them, they were less objectionable and more open to discussing ideas in a in a positive and professional manner. So again, this feel, felt, found process can be very effective. And by using these three steps, you can help break down the situation in your own mind and it's a formula for you to follow to diffuse situations. You need to make sure you understand the key reasons why people are not confident that the plan will go ahead, that it will work. So another thing that you can do is spend some more time trying to find out what their key objections are. And one of the the ways, the strategies that I've used is to say things like, so if I can overcome that objection, would you be on board and ready to progress? Yeah, I could. So your objection is that we don't have enough resources to solve this problem. Is that correct? Yeah, that's true. We don't have enough resources. Okay, so if I could provide all the, if I could wave a magic wand and I could provide all the resources you need, you'd be on board. Yes, I would. Okay, great. So let me deal with the resource issue and let me promise you that I'm going to do everything I can to provide the resources for you. If we could provide the resources, you'd be on board. 
Well, yeah, I would, but um, um, but also, um, uh, but there are laws and there are policies around this. Okay. So you're also concerned then about the policies and laws. Yeah. So if I could overcome that, though, if I could overcome the issue of resources, and I could also overcome the problems of, of, of policies and legislation and the other things that get in the road, you'd be on board. Well, yeah, I guess I would. Now, you're not trying to solve that problem immediately in that, at that point in time, but you're acknowledging that their concerns are valid and you also know what you need to deal with. You know what the objections are that you need to deal with. So you've got a plan of action going forward. You have a part, you, ha you have a, a strategy. <clears throat> now, the truth is it might go X, Y, Z. There might be actually 10 reasons why they're objecting and sometimes it's hard to, to get to the bottom of it. But if you can get down to one, two or three and get some kind of commitment, even if it's almost fanciful that you could solve these problems for them, but at least acknowledge them and say, okay, well, let's challenge those obstacles, then you've got a way forward. The other thing to think about too is making sure that you have actually satisfied the objection. Don't assume that just because they've accepted what you've said initially that they have totally accepted it or they're always going to accept it. And I think this is both immediate and also medium to long term. So your colleague has said, I'm very concerned about having enough resources. The next day, check in with them and say, hey, have you thought anything more about that resource issue, about how we can solve that together? Again, you're not pushing forward the agenda directly. It's indirectly. You're tackling the obstacles that they cared about. And maybe the plan gets implemented and you're traveling along, you're three months, you're six months in, maybe you're a year in. You check in with that very influential colleague and say, hey, I know you were really concerned about resources. Do you feel like we've got enough resources? Is there anything more we can do to help obstacles? help resolve that challenge or obstacle? Do you feel like we've got enough resources when we need it and is the right kind of resources available? You're demonstrating that their concerns were valid and you're helping make sure that the problems are getting dealt with. Because unless you check in, things could be going wrong and you don't, don't know it. Ask people around that your colleagues if those matters are being dealt with. Check in to see if you have alleviated their concerns. Be vulnerable. Ask for feedback. Hey, you told me your biggest concern was resources. Can you tell me how am I doing with that? Have I been able to satisfy those concerns for you? And if they say no, you haven't, that's good. You need to know if their concerns aren't, valid, aren't, aren't being supported or dealt with. This can help you move in closer to your objectives develop stronger and deeper relationships, show that you're understanding, so showing that you're a problem solver. As I said, you don't need to be right. You need to have the right outcome. If you're looking for applaud on for, for some claps and applause on stage, it's not going to happen at the end of the year if you haven't solved the problems. So play the long game. Realize that a short-term yes doesn't work for you. Be aware that there's going to be a meeting after the meeting. Know that just because people have said yes immediately doesn't mean they're going to say yes in the corridor or in the coffee room afterwards. How many times have you made a decision in a meeting where everyone's put their hand up and they've agreed 
and the next day they come back to you and say, well, we've talked about what we said yesterday and, and we don't believe this is the right plan. The worst response you can possibly give is to say, yeah, but we've already decided. Well, truth is you thought you did, but maybe you didn't have all the information and everyone's not on board. So you've got a weak position. It's why I don't really like voting systems. They're quite superficial and most often very ineffective. It's not consensus. I worked in an organization once where if we had crucial and important decisions, we didn't just put our hand up, we just didn't have a vote. We had a cons what's called a consensus decision-making model. And the way that works is you put your hand up five, one of five fingers. And of course, if, if you were totally on board, then you'd put five fingers up. Yep, no objections, no concern. I'm gonna run full speed ahead towards this solution or implementing this plan. Maybe that person's unrealistic, but they've put up five fingers. Other people might put up four fingers. <clears throat> it's good to know. It's good to know you don't have 100% commitment to that plan. Those people might have a few little objectives or maybe they're just being realistic. What about if most people are a three? What if there's still a whole lot of people with objectives? So they're prepared to say, yeah, let's go forward, but with objections that are gonna get in the road. You need to know that. What's the point of having 80% of people say yes but huge number of objections and the plan's not gonna work. What's the point of having 51% voting yes? Oh well, everyone had a chance to vote and that was the rule, so therefore we're moving forward. Good luck with that. If you don't have a consensus, people aren't gonna be running forward, they're gonna be crawling forward or reluctantly, or they're gonna undermine things behind the scenes. And that consensus decision-making model I was just referring to is a much longer conversation I'll save for another time, but there are other steps to it as well, where you might say, okay, well, I wanna find out what the objections are, I wanna find out, is there any people that's totally opposed that are gonna block it? Like, get the information you need so that you can achieve consensus and make sure that the project or plan succeeds. I think the biggest message I have for you today is take the time and be patient with decisions. Use the strategies that I've shared today to move things forward, but be patient with them and know that just getting a yes or bullying your way through doesn't work. The greatest leaders are the people who have the greatest number of people on their side moving forward in the same direction. And it's not about being manipulative. It's about being authentic and genuine in order to make sure that everyone's working towards the same common goal. Global leadership is about achieving success not about getting votes on the table or having short-term wins. It's about understanding the cultural diversity <clears throat> that exists around you. <clears throat> Making sure that you're addressing things in different ways as appropriate because you're in different cultural and unique contexts. I hope some of these strategies have been helpful for you and they're worth trying out. Give it a go. I think you'll find them really effective and a nice playbook for you to move forward and be more effective at global leadership. Thanks for listening.